You might be familiar with the song Jordan River. Jordan River, I'm bound to cross. Jordan River, I've got one more to go. And look, Jesus is right over there helping us along the way. Crossing the Jordan is a phrase used when people talk about passing through troubles. We need God's help to pass through troubles, to pass through our Jordan River when passing through these difficult moments in time. But it's also used as a phrase when talking about going to heaven because we need God's help to go there too. Sin makes crossing our Jordan, that is, of going to heaven, closed. So we look to Jesus, and through his blood and sacrifice, we are able to cross the Jordan. There's a lot of parallels to that and what we're talking about in Joshua. Today, I would like to talk about Israel's crossing over the Jordan into the Promised Land and intermix that with what people of faith look forward to with eternity. The lesson is called On the Other Side. Awestruck, make it right, going forward. So the first point is awestruck. There are events in our lives that still create a sense of being awestruck. You can think about the birth of your child, uh, marriage, a great accomplishment, or even a great tragedy or defeat. But could you imagine being there at a supernatural experience when the Israelites went into the promised land? Seeing what God did and what God continued to do? Mouths aghast and eyes wide open. I imagine they had to follow closely behind the person in front of them because they were just looking around. Wow, this is awesome. Now the priests of the, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over. Joshua 3.17. So a memorial was set up. Joshua asked representatives from each tribe to pick up a large stone, put it on your shoulder, take it across, Pick up that stone from where the priests who had the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the Ark of the Lord, your God, in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel. Joshua 4.5 Many of us have loved ones who have passed away. Knowing that this will be my future physically, I started thinking about, it's not morbid to me, maybe it's morbid to you. I started thinking about what epitaph would be nice on my gravestone? What words of memory? Then I got to thinking, how can my life be summed up in a couple words? I find myself perplexed like, which piece of pie can I eat? if I could only choose one. There's a reason that people have memorials. And there's various reasons. Joshua had a real reason for creating a memorial of stones. It was a teaching tool. 
We kind of talked about that in men's class today, didn't we? A teaching tool that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Joshua 4, 6-7. Those in Christ, in one sense, have passed over our Jordan of sin. However, we are still waiting to enter heaven, to go through the physical experience of death and be with our Lord. But when we were baptized into Christ, immersed for the forgiveness of sins, we died to self, didn't we? And chose to live under the covenant of Christ. We have forgiveness of sins, and we are part of His church. And as His church, we are instructed every first day of the week, to remember. We did that just a moment ago with the Lord's Supper as we do it here. To remember what specifically, though? The suffering and life of Christ. What God did. Very similar to the memorial of stones, in a sense. Why do we do that? Why are those stones there? Why do we partake of the Lord's Supper every week? To teach people what God has done. To remind us what God has done. Jesus has done. Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23-25. The second point, make it right. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted. And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Joshua 5.1 You see, the power of God has the great ability to melt hearts. I mean, aren't we looking for people whose hearts melt towards the Word of God, towards Jesus, towards the truth? We're looking for that. And we come across people who study the Word and go, I need to change. Their hearts are melting. Like Rahab, the prostitute. Did her heart melt? Absolutely she did. She lived in Jericho, but unlike her, the various peoples of the land, instead of remaining melted and turning towards God, what did they do? They hardened their hearts. They opposed God, and they fought Israel. In part, 
That is what God's creation and mostly his word should do to people as well. People should look at the marvelous things of creation and go, God did this. And they should go, what else has God done? And then they find the word and realize, whew, that's a melted heart. But for people who worship the God of harvest, Baal or Baal, like the Amorites and the Canaanites who sacrificed their living children, burned them on an altar while they were alive to their god Baal, and involvement in witchcraft, their melting hearts just hardened to stone. They were in opposition. We live in a world with people whose hearts should melt before God, do we not? But they turn to stone. Israel was a people who also struggled with heart problems. We all do. We all do. The experience in the wilderness showed this. And for some reason, the new boys born in the wilderness were not circumcised. For an Israelite male, this is highly wrong. There is great blame in this. So God called for flint knives. I don't know about you, but that's kind of scary from a guy's point of view. Make a bunch of flint knives. At the time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel. A second time, Joshua chapter 5, verse 2. Not a fun experience for either a young boy or a grown man. But circumcision was part of the Abrahamic covenant. Circumcision was also part of the law of Moses. And not to have done it properly was to live opposed to God in covenant. It must be fixed. Their approach, reproach must be fixed. Their blame must be taken care of. And it was. And not long after the healing from the circumcision, the Israelites held the first Passover in Canaan land. This was a very special day of remembrance, remembering when God brought Israel out of Egyptian bondage. See, I hope you see a pattern when reading the Bible, specifically here, Joshua. The pattern is God first. God gives Joshua leadership. God's great mighty acts are heard by many peoples. God helps the people cross the River Jordan. Memorial stones are set up to remember what God has done for Israel. The people did a national circumcision to obey God. The people worshiped the Passover, remembering what God had done. So we need to do the right thing. And then go forward. We must go forward. And that brings me to the thoughts of the fruit of the land. When you take your last physical breath, and you've crossed over the final Jordan experience. Would you be upset if the physical food you're used to would no longer be given to you? 
Sheena, you do make some good stuff. Rose, Arthena, everybody, I love it. But I doubt you would be upset about it. Whatever sustenance we'll receive will be greater than anything this world can provide. Anything. The day after Passover, the manna ceased. The day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel. But they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Joshua 5.12 You see, God provides blessings for his obedient people. He provided the Israelites a physical promised land, but he also provides a better and greater promised land, not of this creation for people of faith. I imagine Joshua had a few plans in his mind on how to defeat Jericho. Any military-minded person, I'm sure, has that. But when God said how it was going to be done, Joshua's plans went out the window. But before Joshua turned his full attention to Jericho, those people who burned their children, who had no desire to keep their hearts melted towards God, he met someone, someone of significance, Joshua met a man with his sword drawn. Joshua asked him, Are you here for us or for our adversaries? Joshua 5.13. He said, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Joshua 5.14. And it was this commander, it was God who instructed Joshua on how to take the city of Jericho. This passage is reminiscent of, of the burning bush experience that Moses had decades and decades before. Here's the commander of the Lord's army, God himself. And the one Joshua worshipped said, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua 5.15. Not only was God with the people on the outside of the promised land. We know God was there that whole time. He was also there on the inside of the promised land. For those who will enter heaven, God is with us on the outside of our promised land. Guiding us all the way. If we listen... And he will be there with us in heaven. What a great God we have. Who is with us on this side and the other side. Isn't that what God asks us to do though? Follow him. As the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, I've come. Listen to me. Here's how you're going to do it. Well, Jesus has come. Listen to him. This is how he wants you to do it. 
so that we can cross our Jordan. You see, God wants us to go towards the true goal and to keep going forward. Here's what Paul said. Very appropriate, I think. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward calling, call of God in Christ Jesus. He's going forward. He's standing on the promises. He's following God. The lesson is called on the other side. The first point is awestruck. What is so significant in your life that you are awestruck by it? I hope you would say what Christ did on the cross. Remember, always remember this great event and stay awestruck by it. The second point, make it right. The greatest reproach we have against us as humans is sin. It must be taken care of. Have you reached out to God through Jesus to take it away? If not, you must make it right. And the third point, last, going forward. In Christ, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look forward to the holy ground of heaven and follow the path through Jesus Christ. The lesson is yours. If there's anybody here today who has any needs, concerns, prayer requests, or otherwise, this is a great time to share it with the body. Please come forward now as together we stand and sing.